Welcome, this is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi Prestonenzi, and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe, so we can help you master the art of selling. Welcome to another episode of the Sales IQ Podcast. I'm your host, Luigi Prestonenzi, and as always, I am pumped and honored that you've decided to join us this week for what will be another insane episode. So, how's your week been? My week has been cracking. I'll tell you why, because last week we released the episode with Keenan, and boy, did he bring it. You know, Keenan, the founder of Gap Selling, talks about why the problem in sales is the key thing that you need to focus on, problem, impact, root cause. And our episode stirred a lot of debate around, around the sales community, even people, you know, entrepreneurs and business owners who are chasing down sales every day. Why was this episode so good? Because, you know, the heart of selling is about understanding what the problem yet you're trying to fix. Now, why is this such a great topic that leads into t- to this week's episode? Because this week we're joined by Anna Liotta generational expert and founder of the Generational Institute. And Anna spent her entire life understanding the different generations and how to engage with different generations from baby boomers to millennials to Generation X. And this is going to be a fantastic episode for anyone that is trying to you know, engage with, with, with people during the sales process. This is one to really listen to. Where does a connection with Keenan happen? Because Keenan talks about what is the actual problem? that we're helping customers solve. What Anna talks about is how do I understand the generations that we're dealing with so I can build a relationship with them and get them to open up so we can get to the heart of the problem without rapport, without you know relationships, our ability to you know understand more about our customers and our prospects is limited. So this is gonna be a fantastic episode and, and one that we can connect with Gap Selling. So as always, I just want to say thank you for the, the, the shout outs. Um, a lot of people are, are sharing and liking our content on LinkedIn and um, have jumped on iTunes to rate us. So please, if you get the opportunity, if you like this episode, screenshot it, share it, jump on iTunes or wherever you listen to you know your podcasts and give us a rating and give us a comment and keep hitting me up. Send me emails, Luigi, L-U-I-G-I, at salesiqgroup.com and tell me what you love about the episode or what we can do to improve. So guys, buckle up. This is going to be an insane episode. So um, welcome to the show, Anna. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Oh, fantastic. And so am I. I'm super excited to talk about, you know, what is uh, quite an un- not an unusual topic, but um, can be a bit challenging for people to talk about sort of you know selling to different generations so but before we get into today's topic um we'd love to hear a bit more about you and how you got started in the world of sales well you know i got started in the world of sales out of of course necessity we have to understand what makes each a person around us tick and what ticks them off. That's what sales are about, right? (laughs) And uh, how I got into generational sales, understanding the different generations is I'm the youngest girl of 19 children. Whoa. So I kind of grew up having to figure that out. Can we just pause (laughs) that for a second? So how many children? I am one of 19 <laughs> Catholic for the listeners because so, they're wondering, like, how did that happen? And yes, uh, uh, it, it's definitely a Catholic situation. Uh, although I grew up on a farm, so we checked the well water to see if maybe it was, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was something to do with the water. 
But um, I really, uh, you know, growing up in that multi-generational dynamic, I was really keen on observing how to influence people of different generations. My dad was three generations older than myself. He was a, what we call a GI gen. Yeah. And as a uh, Gen Xer, I really was observing like what made the big impact on him and how did I motivate him to, you know, in, in, as you as a young person, you'd say motivate him to let me do what I wanted to do to sell him on. <laughs> you know? I wanted to be in volleyball and, uh, you know, how did I get him to do this or that? So it was a really early phenomenon for me to kind of get into that understanding of what makes people tick, what ticks yeah. them off. So how many, do you mind me asking, how many um, nieces and nephews do you have? And can you remember them all? (laughs) Well, okay, so I have 56 nieces and nephews. (laughs) And I absolutely know all of them and I know all of their names. And I have a rough idea of all of their birthdays. (laughs) But where it starts to fall apart is I now have 49 great nieces and nephews. And oh, man, this um, is just blowing me away. So, like, yeah, is it, yeah. is it, is it a pre- and do you have to buy a present per niece and nephew per year? Like, that's you need okay, a full time job. Let's be honest. <laughs> if I get a text or an email off to them on their birthday, I am a very proud, proud auntie. <laughs> Uh, we had to give up on the we had to give up on the gifts because you'd be poor, yeah. and we had to give up even on the the cards because it just becomes overwhelming. We have a family calendar because I also have three hundred first cousins, and uh, oh, we have this. <laughs> this is out of control. <laughs> is out of control. Yeah. I mean, for us, a family wedding is three hundred and fifty to four hundred, you know, family members, and then there's like two <laughs> pews at the front of the church for others. <laughs> <laughs> and what about I? I know when I spoke to you last time, um, your you have a very oh, famous Hollywood cousin. Yes, Ray Liotta is a cousin. I've not met him, but he is a cousin. He's one of those three hundred. <laughs> that's right. He's okay. one of the many. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Well, so I suppose that's where that's a, a fantastic backdrop to why. Um, you know, to where the sort of well, what piqued your interest into into the generations. I mean, um, yeah. And so, in, in a range of from oldest to youngest in the nineteen would be. So my oldest sister is now sixty eight years old. Yeah. And my youngest brother is actually forty two years old. So okay. my mum was having children for many decades. Whoa, that's like one a year. Yeah, that's, 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 well, and so there, there is a little bit of a story that goes to it. I won't tell you the whole romantic okay. Hollywood version, but <laughs> my mom married her high school sweetheart at 16. They grew okay. up in Montana in a logging community in uh, Montana State. Yep. And when they, by the time she was 28, she'd had the first 10 children. <laughs> and uh, yes, again, Catholic underline. And he was 30 years old and they didn't know it, but he had a congenital heart issue. Oh, no. So he had a heart attack that year at 30 and passed away. So she was widowed oh, okay. with those 10 kids. Yeah. And a couple years later, she got set up on a blind date by from some priests with this 44-year-old Sicilian bachelor who had always said he was never going to get married <laughs> unless... 
he met a nice young widow with at least eight kids. <laughs> so wow. they set him up. And uh, I, of course, she actually initially turned down the date. But when he showed up, they went out, they took all the kids with them because she didn't have a babysitter. She'd, she'd said no. But he uh, fell in love with her that night and asked her to marry him that night. Oh and she was... She was like, no, right? Now, again, back to sales, right? Okay. So, yeah, you got to know your audience. Yep. So, when the priests wrote him the letter, they wrote him a letter that said, Dear Mr. Layata, we have a nice uh, young widow in our church You think we think you might like to meet. Now, here's the catch. She's got 10 kids, <laughs> and we know that 10 is a high score in golf. Yeah. This is the know your audience in sales, right? Yeah. But her last name is Bird. So we think the fact that all the kids are little birdies, which is, you know, a good score, one under par, <laughs> should help make up for the fact that there's so many of them. So that's that's a quintessential sales. I, I wouldn't be here if, you know, sales and marketing were <laughs> yeah, not a part of my life. So he'd accepted the date and he opened the door and saw my mother and that and was it. He was in history. love. And, Fantastic. Yeah. It took him three months to convince her to say yes, but after three months, she finally said, okay, the next the next time you ask is, you know, the real deal. And so he said, great, how about Saturday? So they got married that week at the Saturday evening mass. The kids preceded them into the church as their oh, wedding party. A couple wow. of years later, they had a little girl. A couple of years after that, they had an adorable little girl in my unbiased. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's an amazing story. That's one that I'll definitely well, remember. But it goes on a little bit because then – Eight years after me, along came my younger brother. Yep. And when I was 10 and he was two, my mom found out she had pancreatic cancer. Oh. And uh, within a couple of months passed. Yep. But before she passed, she told my father, I don't expect you to live the rest of your life alone. I know what it's like to lose your life partner. Yep. And there's a perfectly wonderful widow right down the road, which became my bonus mom. Oh, wow. And she brought to us six kids, and she also brought to us many of her GI generational codes. Yeah. Because, you know, when we really want to understand the people that we're selling to across the generations, we have to understand what is the code that drives their actions and reactions. And what we know from knowledge studies is that about age seven, our brains start to make logic. If this, then that. And between the ages of 8 to 18, we watch the world around us. We watch the leaders and we watch the icons and we watch the events. And when there's an event and it's paired with an emotion, it creates an imprint. The higher the emotion, the deeper the imprint. Yep. So when we want to understand what drives our customers buying actions and reactions, what, what makes them follow us, what makes them believe in us, what makes them you know, be satisfied with us, we actually have to look at those original code imprints that basically make up an algorithm that's mm -hmm. running in the background. They don't even know it's running in the background, yeah. but it's it's there in the background informing their actions and reactions. So a couple Christmases ago, my sweet bonus mom and I were making lasagna for one of a family potlucks, because you can imagine a family that large is always a potluck, right? <laughs> yeah. And we, we made the lasagna, we covered it in tinfoil and carried it off to the potluck. Now, at the end of the night, I'm washing down the now empty lasagna plate, and I look over at my sweet bonus mom, who's 90 years old, and what do you think she was doing with the tin foil? I'm not sure. To... She was saving it. 
Okay. She was smoothing out the wrinkles. She was wow. wiping it down. Because when you look at her formative experiences of 8 to 18, she went through the Great Depression. Yeah. You know, she went through the World War where resources were sparse and you had to save everything. So even though today we have plenty of resources to buy more tinfoil, yeah. she still has that action and reaction. So when we want to sell across the generations, we have to actually look farther back than just yesterday. Yeah. We have to look farther back into what are those core formative things that influence the buying process and the sales cycle of each generation. Yeah. And, and so that's a really interesting that, um, you know, you've had that whole family, the, the different generations within your family that's helped inspire you to spend, cause you spent your, you spent a, pretty much, you know, your life on researching this. Is that correct? Yes. You yeah. know, I actually started my research formally about this in my undergrad. I was 19 when I first started writing papers. Um, I did my, in the States, we call it an honors thesis when, uh, when you write a thesis at the end of your undergrad. And I wrote my honors thesis on generational dynamics in the workplace. Wow. So it's been, I won't say how many years, but let's just say, you know, a plenty. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think people truly understand the different generations that are now out in the world, right? So do you mind discussing, you know, just breaking down firstly, what are the different generations we all fall into, like categories? Absolutely. So in the workplace right now, there are actually five generations. The most senior generation and the youngest generation, there's just a small percentage of them in the workplace. I'm only going to touch on them lightly, but the traditionalists were born in the U.S. between 1927 to 1945. Our baby boomers were born between 1946 to 1964. Our Gen Xers were between 1965 and 1977. And then the millennials, who were called Gen Y as a placeholder name, were born 78 to 99. And now the globals coming after the millennials are born 2000 to 2016. The placeholder name that you'll hear a lot of times for them is Gen Z because it's the next letter in the alphabet. But I've coined the name for them, the globals, because they're our first generation to grow up thinking of themselves as global citizens in every aspect of their life. They worry as much about the young person that sits next to them in school as they do about the young person that they've met on a device or in a community online. They do not see a difference in intimacy between physical and virtual relationships. And so when you're looking at each generation, now Australia has a lot in common with the US as far as timing, Some other countries, you would actually probably see some of the generational characteristics be on a little bit of a different click because each generation grows up during a particular social mood cycle. And uh, if you look at what was happening in the social mood at the time that you were born, you would actually see the attributes and the characteristics of that generation get influenced by it. In the U.S. and in Australia, after World War II, we went into a high social mood of growth and expansion. But if you looked at Japan post-World War II, they didn't immediately move into a momentum or a high mood. It took a little longer for rebuilding. So when you look around the world, you'd see that generations happen in every country. Yeah. But 
the social mood until the millennial generation can be uh, adjusted a little bit for boomers and Xers and traditionalists by a little, uh, depending on which social mood they went into after the World War II. And when it comes to the millennials, it syncs up across the world and the globals absolutely are synced up. So uh, those are kind of the boundaries. If you hear people give a different beginning and ending date, it's probably depending on who you're talking to. If you're talking to a social scientist, they'll say social mood. If you're talking to a demographer, they'll say birth numbers. Uh If you're talking to a historian, they'll say major world event. Those are the definers. So, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we've got essentially at the moment, we've got five you know, generations that are, that are out there. Okay. That's right. Um, I'd love to understand before we talk about those different generations and, and which ones are harder to engage with, et cetera, would love to understand what intergenerational sales blind spots are. What are the generational sales blind spots? Yes. So the first blind spot is thinking common sense is common. Yeah. So we like to think, well, it's just good common sense to do it this way. And common sense is not common because when you're saying common sense, you're referencing a certain set of experiences about how to do something that is not shared across generations. Their formative experiences about what the sales cycle is like is based on their formative years. And so that's probably the biggest blind spot right off the bat is thinking that my likes and dislikes match the person I'm selling to across every generation. And that's where people get into a lot of trouble is they build their sales systems and their processes and their ways of getting related based on their own generational code. Okay. So that's a a challenge that often people fall into is that when they're talking to different personas or customers, they're building it around Mm -hmm. their view on the world or their generational code. Yeah, exactly. I'll give you an example of that. I work with a large company that most of you have probably purchased something from online uh, that is kind of in every domain now. Uh, it comes, it, it can be delivered to you in just a couple of days or less. <laughs> and um, I was working with Amazon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, I was working with their sales team. Yep. And I was working with their sales team around web services, you know, Amazon okay. Web. And This is a great example of starting your sales with one generation in mind and then wanting to expand out. So they started their sales and almost all of their sales professionals were Gen Xers and a lot of talented millennials. And when they were building their processes, the Gen Xer sales cycle is cut to the chase, get to the bottom line. Gen Xers do not like it when you schmooze them. They do not want to tell you about their family and their entire life and their kids. For a Gen Xers code, you need to earn the right to ask me personal questions. Mm. You need to demonstrate initially that you understand who I am and what value I need, be brief, and then be gone. And so they were selling to the Gen Xer buyer in the Uh, tech space, quick spin up and quick spin down, right? It was all about, hey, here's what we got. We're going to be straightforward. We're going to be efficient. We're going to be product focused and we're going to be brief. Gen Xers do not like it when you're chatty, when you oversell. Like once a Gen Xer says yes, shut 
up. That's it. I'm done. Leave me alone. And they don't want you to be overly perky or sparkly or too bright, right? They just want you to say, here's what it is. Here's what I need. So they were selling cloud services to Gen Xers and then to millennial startup entrepreneurs. But then they wanted to expand and they wanted to go to the blue chip companies. And now they were going to boomer centric. Yeah organizations and all of their talented millennial and Gen Xer sales professionals were just completely bamboozled because all of a sudden the sales cycle slowed down. The metaphors they needed to use changed. The people wanted to meet, do lunch, discuss having met and done lunch, review, rinse and repeat, meet, do lunch. Like they wanted to schmooze and extend the cycle and it it was an invisible blind spot to them that what they had built initially as a sales process and funnel was not actually transferable. So when we started working, we had to actually really look at what are the things that boomers love in the sales cycle. Now, most companies are on the opposite side. They've Mm -hmm. built their sales cycle by boomers for boomers, and they have the problems of transitioning to the Gen Xer buyer who people misunderstand that Gen Xers right now are in their peak earning and decision-making years, 40 to mid fifties. And so Gen Xers are the ones that hold the purse strings. They, Mm. they are calling the budgets. They're deciding where to put their influence and which vendors to buy from. And so the boomer schmooze is actually right now for many people, a blind spot because that's what their entire system is built on. Okay. And does, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of disc um, and does this come mm-hmm. into play? Like we talk about those, you know, the Gen Gen X. Um, you mentioned cut to the chase. You need to earn the right. Um, but are then within that category, um, are there? You know, I mean, how do we apply the, that methodology? That there's also different, you know, behavioural styles within that within that category. It applies a hundred percent that the behavioral style basically doubles down on the code. So if you have a Gen Xer who's also a high D, a driver, if you don't, you know, be straightforward, be efficient, be product focused, be brief, be gone, then that D is like exponentially irritated with you. Yeah, right? absolutely. Backup and behavior so, kicks in. Yeah, I can see it. I can see it. Yeah. Right. So it's it's to the extreme. And it can be confusing because sometimes you have a Gen Xer who's maybe a high I, a high influencer, right? Yeah. And they do well in sales because they can toggle or they can code switch, right? They have a, a sensitivity and awareness to the person, but put them in a room of Gen Xers. And they will go back to Gen X code. Yeah. Okay. Right. So yeah. it's like this, like a uh, Gen Xer, you schedule a meeting with a Gen Xer for an hour and you get done in 30 minutes. They think you're brilliant because mm. you've just given them back a half an hour of their time. What they don't do is sit in that room and talk to you for another 30 minutes, yeah, shooting the breeze. Done. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Now they're done. So you put a bunch of Gen Xers in a room and they're like, how fast can we get this done and get out of here? Right. <laughs> yeah. And I find that, you know, I got one client. Um, he always schedules an hour and we're done like 15 minutes and then we're done, you know, there's, um, and he, you know, it's not that he's unhappy. It's that he values his time he needs to get and he's in that category. And I've actually never thought about it like that. So thanks for, for helping me become aware of it. Um, exactly. For the listeners that are, that are currently, you know, hearing this and going, Oh my God, I've got to create personas, my ideal customer profile. I've got to think about the problems and challenges. 
now I've got to break it down by by generations, right? Um, what can we do quite simply to avoid A, the blind spot, but B, make it, I suppose, a lot easier to, you know, a lot easier to work with from a generational perspective so it's not becoming overwhelming for a sales professional? Well, I think one of the things that's important about understanding generational codes in sales is that it's a place to begin and a way to listen for cues and for signals. Okay. So an example of that is to say, when you first get on a call with, we'll stick with Gen Xer for a second here because yep. they're the least known and understood. We spend a lot of time on boomers. We're pretty all, we're mostly good at boomer uh, sales. Um, yep. And Millennials are talked about a lot, but again, Gen Xers are in that sweet spot of buying, right? And so when you get on the phone with a Gen Xer, listen for the cues that tell you they're ready to move on. It goes something like this. I'll get on a sales call and it will be with a Gen Xer. And how I know is because I jumped on LinkedIn. I yep. scrolled to the bottom of their profile. <laughs> I looked for when they graduated, right? <laughs> That's that one of the ways that I know because you can't necessarily tell by the way someone looks which generation they're in. But here's what I listen for. I turn on a little clock on my desk and they say, hey, you know, hi, where are you from? I'm like, oh, I'm out in Seattle, Washington. Oh, does it really rain as much as I, you know, people talk about? No, actually, it's actually pretty sunny out here. And this is what I'm listening for. At about a minute and 58 seconds, the Gen Xer says the transition word. So, and that is we've done enough small talk. We've done enough schmooze. Now move into the value. Mm. And so one of the things that sales professionals need to listen for is the cues from the person that they're seeking to woo, to engage, to partner with, that says you have finished this trend, this stage, right? We schmoozed a minute and 58 seconds and now go on. And then it's really fascinating because even if we've scheduled an hour between 17 minutes and 19 minutes, typically right on 18, they'll say, well, that's great, which means shut up. I've said yes. It's time to go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's time to go. Yeah. And again, if you miss those cues, you are getting on their last nerve and you're yeah. actually unselling. And so one of the things is to not go into any sales conversation thinking, okay, I do this, I do this, I do this, and that's it. But really listening more aware for their signals of how they want to take the conversation. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, that's that's such an important um, topic that you discuss because, you know, with anything, with DISC, um, with, with anything when it comes to human interaction, it's all about listening and not just listening to respond, but listening to understand and, and know, you know, what the next step should be. So it's really, really great insight. Um, from your research so far, sort of which generation is the most difficult to engage with? In what way? Because so, they're all, they all have their own... <laughs> It depends. So, because that would depend on who you are. If you're thinking I'm a boomer, you're thinking, oh, it's so hard to get to the millennials. Tell me, ask me a okay. little bit more about Perfect. what aspect. So, suppose where I'm coming from is like in the world of sales, we know that, you know, everyone keeps saying the world of sales is changing. It's changing. Um, I think it's just because of the medium in which we can engage with our customers is, is, mm -hmm. is changing, right? Um, mm -hmm. But different generations like I'll give an example my daughter she's 16 um you know they love text they love 
you know, they're not necessarily the ones making phone calls. Um, yet me, um, I'm in the millennial, born in 82. Um, I don't mind mm-hmm. picking up the phone. I actually like f- verbal conversation versus text. I'm like, well, send me 10 texts. I send to my daughter, you know, I'll just pick up the damn phone, right? I want to, <laughs> I can end that within, you know, a, a two minute conversation versus five minutes of, of texting. Um, based on the research of what you're doing, is there a particular generation that likes to, you know, engage through certain mediums? And and if so, which ones, you know, which which ones are they? Are they the globals? Are they the millennials? Are they Gen Xs? So I think that people would say that millennials have been hard to engage with because what channel or what platform they are listening on is highly customized. So there are millennials that are absolutely uh, participating on Instagram. Yep. And there are millennials that, you know, that's where they, they go. Pinterest, all of these different platforms. And a lot of the things that, you know, we found difficult about the millennials are going to become even harder with the globals because the globals have grown up with social media being absolutely part of their world. For the millennials, it it evolved in their formative years. For the globals, it was always there in their formative years. But here's what's even more challenging. The globals understand what it means to be an influencer. Hmm. The millennials are building influence, but the globals have always understood influencers. So they are the marketers and the salespeople. The millennials themselves have actually evolved into it. So when we're looking at how we sell to, it's not actually a push anymore. It's a pull. We have to actually engage the influencer to influence in their own small micro tribes. Before, Mm. as the authority organization, we could push out our content and we could influence through a few main channels and a few main platforms. Now, there's a whole kaleidoscope of platforms and conversations. And people are very good at buffering and blocking people out of it so that they actually are very much inside almost a bubble and they can block out a lot of what's coming at them. So it's very difficult now to get to millennials and will be difficult to get to globals unless you're doing it in a pull engagement, co-created kind of sale. The push sale of you have to listen to me is mm. an over is over. Yeah. Okay. So we've really got to think about how we're getting that message to our to our customer in what medium, um, and 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 actually tailoring that message to the to the to them. Yes, and 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 tailoring it in an engaged educational way. Yeah. It it's not something that you can just. Um, it's not just something that informing of them them of the features and you know benefits we mm. know it's always about you know focusing on the benefits yeah. but it has to be done in an embedded way think about how in the movies right now one of the most successful things in the movies is embedded influence when somebody is holding a product in their hand mm. where somebody is engaged with the product they're not selling the product yeah. it's just influenced by association yeah, there's yeah. a really interesting body of work right now um, out there's a book called social physics and in social physics they're talking about how 
when we want to influence someone, it's not the person that specifically says, I want to influence you about this and talks to you about this, but rather the person that you admire, that you see adjacent to mm. that person, the products they're using, the things that they are, like you say, oh, that what, what app is that? Oh, this is yeah. a such and such app. And I immediately download it. Yeah. Not because you tried to educate me on that app, but because I saw you in my social network right? Mm. Using something that now influences me to go check it out. So that kind of embedded engagement really is where sales go because I'm watching the influence of my peers. Absolutely. And we see that through, you know, really good emails that are social proofed, um, you know, that share, you know, when you see an email and I I see it in, in campaigns that work really well from outreach campaigns, you know, when we add social proof somebody similar to the prospect that we're engaging with that talks about how that product or service has benefited them you know we get higher click through and we get higher engagement um so but that book i will definitely buy so i can read more yeah read more it's, it's it. a fascinating yeah. they, they're doing some really great research there and i'm working on my next book and i'm like <laughs> <laughs> one of the things i was really really excited to talk to you about before you know um in, in coming to, to to this episode was salespeople are now, it's not marketing's job to create an ideal customer profile or a customer persona. Um, you know, back in back in the day, and I'm not that old, but when I first started in sales, um, marketing really led that. But now it's more about the customer, you know, the salespeople need to know who their customer, you know, who their customer is, what they look like, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. Share with us how we can use some of these codes in developing better personas so that we can create content that engages with them? So I think one of the things in creating personas and engagement is realizing that we are getting into the micro persona time. Yep. And so when you really think about personas, you've got to think about what is the benefit of that persona to us as we're writing. And when we're writing, we're not just thinking about this one persona on this one channel, but rather, how do we get them to recognize themselves in the persona? Before it was the persona was about us saying, mm. this is who they are. Now we want them to actually recognize themselves yeah. in the persona. There's a uh, insurance company that did this really, really beautifully out in the Pacific Northwest. They made over a hundred personas of people in the Pacific Northwest and they were hilarious. <laughs> and people started actually calling themselves by the persona <laughs> name or persona number. Like, you know, um, in the Pacific Northwest, the guy that wears uh uh, wool socks with their um, Birkenstocks, right? Yep. Uh, and then ponytail guy. And then like they hyper, hyper, hyper <laughs> persona, you know, made all these personas and people like could not wait to see the next persona because they were laughing. They're like, that is so <laughs> me, right? And the thing is that this insurance company had been a super old school stars and stripes. This is your father's insurance company. And they completely captured the millennial and Gen Xer buyer by being so willing to laugh with and at the hyper persona. And so there's this, if you are willing to create and co-create the persona and say, 
we know you, we love you, we want you, rather than we are back in our lab and we're <laughs> going to quietly make these personas and then we're going to go after you, whether you like it or not. <laughs> that kind of Machiavellian sales is a boomer-centric model yeah. that does not appeal to the younger and younger generations. Okay, so if we had a blank canvas, got my sales team, got marketing, or just a sales team, right? And we had to say, okay, let's come up with our, you know, buy personas and then micro. What would we do? How, how, would, how would you facilitate that? Would we get some customers in? Would we, you know, get a, get a small group of, of sample clients um, and then paint, you know, actually create it based on them? Or do we hypothesize based on the information that we know about our personas and say, right, you know, if I'm dealing with a, a general manager of, of operations um, and this is the characteristics that he shares, these are the problems, et cetera, that, that, that they experience. And then let's micro that. Then we might have the baby boomer. Um, GM of ops, we might have Gen X and then the millennials. So is, is that what you would do? So yes and no. Okay. The yes part, for each generation, you're going to do it a little bit differently. Okay. For baby boomers, bringing them in and asking them that kind of questions and having them weigh in on that, that matches the boomer code. That's yep. the old school focus group. I was working with a um, restaurant chain here in the United States. And gourmet burgers is what they focus on. They were kind of the ones that introduced gourmet burgers and they really built it out. But they were really frustrated because they weren't getting Gen Xer parents and global kids. Yeah. So what I did is I went to social media. I went to Facebook because a lot of Gen Xers still spend their time on Facebook. Yeah. And I went to an influencer that I know is super active on Facebook. And I had that influencer put up a question just specifically, I have a friend doing some research for XYZ Gourmet Burger Company. Um, do you take your kids to this organ to, you know, to dine there? Why or why not? And then watched the comments flow. So it was, and, and, and the other thing she said is, you know, be honest, be blunt, right? And the amount of information we got out of the comments, because people do want to share, this information. But I promise you, none of those Gen Xers would have come into a focus group, right? They're not going to take time out of their life for no reason to go in and say this. But when given the opportunity, what we found out was one, the boomer-centric model of bottomless, as much as you want. They, they had a bottomless policy around sugary drinks and a bottomless policy around uh, French fries. And Gen Xer parents were super frustrated by the fact that they'd walk in They'd order their kid one sugary drink and turn around and their kid had had five wow. because while they were talking, they kept filling the kid's drink. <laughs> now they had this hyped up child, right, <laughs> that they were taking home and they were like, seriously, stop this. So the bottomless value of the boomer now was actually pushing away the Gen Xer and early millennial parent. And so what they, what we worked with them on is, okay, it's actually about giving choice. Would you like to have the bottomless experience or not? But that came out of going to the medium that they were on and asking a blunt question and be willing to hear it all, mm -hmm. to hear like what they really didn't like. Uh, there's another chain in the United States that did a brilliant job. I, I didn't work with them on this, but uh, Domino's Pizza. Yep. People didn't like the taste of Domino's pizza. And they did a brilliant job of saying, all right, 
Tell us what we're doing wrong. People sent in horrible things, horrible <laughs> things about it. And they made a really great way of, they posted the terrible things people said. <laughs> they you know, read them out loud on social media. They just really, 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 really said, we're listening. Yeah. And we really want to know this. And they took it on the chin with great uh, you know, mm. humor, right? And then they went about doing the things to change it and reporting on their sales and being super transparent, which is a major, major thing in any sales process now is the more transparent, the more we believe you. Well, it's funny. Domino's in Australia did the same thing. Not, uh, they basically said, make your own. So design your own pizza. We'll, and if we sell it, um, the person that designs it, you know, gets, you know, gets a share of the share of the profits. And, um, that was highly successful. And, um, Don Mays, yes. the CEO, also moved to a really transparent model and their share prices, um, they tripled. Uh, they went from about $19 yes. to $60 at one stage. They were, they were absolutely peaking. Absolutely. And, and the key things in that that, that that hit the codes is transparency and co-create. Yeah. Transparency is a hallmark of a Gen X or sales code and co-create is a hallmark of a millennial sales code. Now, okay. all these hallmarks work for everyone right? But, but yeah. there is this insistent demand that is when it's it's a part of your generational DNA, yeah. it's without this, I will not listen, right? For some, they're like, oh, that's a yeah. nice thing to have. But for the generational code, it's like, if that's not present, don't even bother. So let's, let's, let's break that down. Just if we can do like spend a minute on this. So um, the baby boomer, their generational code is well, again, it depends on which you, you ask very broad questions that each one I could spend an hour on. Tell me a little bit All right, more. Let's go. Like, if we were to, if we had to surmise it, if I was in sales and I'm going out to meet someone and I, I, I check the bottom of the LinkedIn profile and it says, hey, um, they're a baby boomer. Um, do I have to, is there a, you know, um, from a code perspective, is there something that's like a, a quick reference that I can say, okay, this is how I should yes. be engaging with him. Okay. From the, from the boomer code, it's the whole process in a sales conversation is about getting to know them. Yep. They enjoy the process of sharing their life experiences. They enjoy the process of schmoozing, getting to know you, being out at you know face-to-face uh, conversations where there's a lot of questions and dialogue. And that whole process is about get to know me. Yep. For the Gen Xer, their whole sales code is get to the chase get to the bottom line. Do your research about me before you get here. Show immediately that you have invested time in me to get to know me. Don't start off with warm-up questions. So where'd you go to school? That is discoverable. So what did you do? That is discoverable. And start with business. Do not get personal before you've earned the right to get personal. And be ready. If you do get me on the phone, be able to say what you've got in five minutes maybe I'll give you 15, but don't ask for an hour long sales call. The first time we get together, you haven't earned the right to waste an hour of my time. Ask for 15 minutes, use it respectfully, and then follow up. Don't break promises. If you give me a promise that I'm going to get you a proposal in 24 hours, then you better keep your promise and get me a proposal in 24 hours. And if you absolutely can't, then communicate immediately and remake your promise. Don't break your word. Fantastic. For our millennials, it is all about the engagement collaborative process and that 
be green as you go along with this. Do not pile on a bunch of paper. Do not pile on a bunch of old school uh, uh, formats. Social media is absolutely home for them, but get permission to market to them on social media. Permission can come through engagement. Permission can come through contribution. There's many different ways, but Email is not the way to get to a millennial style. Email is a necessary evil. They only use it because they're forced to at work, but they do not want to be marketed to in that format. Fantastic. So it's it's one of those things that think inclusive, right, with millennials. They're going to want to co-create the sales experience and the hyper-customization that comes out of it and think, be ready. They're going to have feedback for you. If you make them an offer, they're going to say, you know how you can make that better for me? And if you're not willing to listen to that immediate feedback, you're probably going to push them away. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, there's some really quick, quick tips. Um, Obviously, we'll need to share some of your, um, you know, where people can find more about you so they can do, you know, more research um, that'll help them create more compelling uh, conversations with their customers and, and get that engagement. Um, so that's fantastic. So just want to understand in your career, in your in your career, biggest influence and why? In my career, the biggest influence? Are, are you saying the person, the yeah, distinction? Uh, was it was it family? Was it was it your, your your parents? Was it someone in work? Who's had the biggest influence on your career? Well, I have to admit, I am a daddy's girl. So I deeply respected my dad's um, entrepreneurship. Even though he was a golf pro, he was always innovating. He was always making new inventions. He held like five patents. And where he did his work was a, a small, you know, golf course in the Pacific Northwest. But the impact he had on the world was so profound because he always said to everyone that he met, you're a natural. (laughs) He would see in them potential and then he would open doors for them and engage them in the world and try to give them a pathway forward. And so for me, in my work, I've always come from service um, and I've always come from understanding and helping people you know, advance because they understood each other better. So yeah. I'd have to actually say that I'm I'm a big fan of uh, compassion and wisdom. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ask every guest this question, sales, is it science or an art? Oh, I would say it's an absolute art. Okay. It's, it's very good to have structures and foundations and science behind it. But in the moment, in the execution, it's a nimbleness and an art. Oh, fantastic. Well, it's interesting. I interviewed somebody earlier who was like, no, it's a science. You know, 90% of sales is a science. You know, we can automate things. We can, you know, craft the right messages. And then we just have to execute the conversation, which is 10%. <laughs> yeah, um, I, think, you know? I think I would have to say that it's a – to, to, to who you're speaking, it also depends on what you're selling. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You know, I'm selling uh, thought leadership. I'm selling the ability to, you know, create nuance in how you engage people. Mm. 
that's an art. Yeah. But if I was selling an online course that was open to the public, that would become Absolutely. a science Very of how many leads, where did they come from? What's yeah. the auto responder? Like there's a whole different thing. I always say to people, are you selling the dream? Or are you selling uh, a solution? Absolutely. That's exactly right? right. You know, like, and that's the thing, that's the difference between transaction is, is that it's a transaction that doesn't involve a human. We can, you know, that can be all science-based cost per lead, cost per acquisition, et cetera. But the minute we have to take it offline and actually do some form of discovery and help a customer identify an unrecognized need, there's a lot of skill in that. There's a lot of, you know, art and finesse. So appreciate you sharing that with us. This mm-hmm. has been awesome. I've, I've really enjoyed um, having this conversation with you today um, and exploring, you know, um, the different generational codes and the different generational types and how we can adapt our style to sell to them. Um, what's one thing, just, just so we can tell our listeners, if I'm a listener listening to this and I'm, I'm, I'm going, oh, this has been great, what's one thing I, could, I should do immediately after listening that will help me better engage with the different generations out there? The one thing I would say is think about the last five sales conversations you had. Go back and look at them newly. Reconsider the way that people responded favorably or not. And think about what if it wasn't personal? What if it was generational? What if that it didn't have a flow to it. We didn't come to the close because I was coming from my generational code and how I tried to present the information, how I tried to close the deal, when I tried to close the deal. Just take the last Mm. five and reconsider. It might not be personal. It might be generational. That's fantastic. So really having a bit of a reflection on your previous sales to see if there's a generational breakdown. Mm -hmm. Yeah, brilliant. So Anna, where can we find, where can our listeners find a bit more about you? So there's a couple places they can go. They are always welcome to go to my website, thegenerationalinstitute.com. That's my on-demand learning uh, website. And then as a keynoter, my website is analayata.com. That's A-N-N-A-L-I-O-T-T-A.com. Fantastic. And we'll put all that in the show notes so people can connect with you. And also we might even put your uh, LinkedIn profile so they can. Um, oh, please connect to me on LinkedIn. And, I love it. And connect. So look, we yeah. really appreciate, we value the the content that you're producing and putting out there. Um, and just want to thank you, uh, f- you know, for joining us today. My pleasure. Anna Liotta, one word, sensational. One thing that I loved about talking to Anna is that she's devoted her life to understanding people. People across every age demographic. She has researched and spent time understanding what motivates these different generations. You know, why is that so important in the sales process? Because selling is about connecting with people. We are robots. And you know what? People that talk about, you know, salespeople will be replaced by automation. It's all hogwash. Why? because people have different motivations. People have different needs. So my challenge to you this week is, what are you doing to understand the different customers that you deal with? What are you doing so that you can build relationships with those customers so you can be the best sales professional you can be?